welcome everybody to the Landsmeet, my very new experimental interview-based Dragon Age podcast where I bring on new guests every episode and we talk about Dragon Age. Today I am joined with Lambo. Lambo, how are you doing? I'm doing really well today. Uh, I've been very excited to come on and talk about Dragon Age for an hour. <laughs> Hell yes, absolutely. That's that's exactly what the Landsmeet is all about for those who don't know. I just bring on guests and we just talk about everything to do with Dragon Age. So, hitting this off, Lambo, what does Dragon Age mean to you in any regard? Dragon Age is the game series that I usually replay at least once a year to remind myself why I love story-based games or story-based series. Series? That's not a word. It's my comfort zone, it's the game that I can replay and every playthrough I'll find something new. For an example, I replayed Origins a few months ago, and once you've finished the lands meet, that's when you're told about the Grey Warden, like uh, the armory in Denerim. Yeah, yeah. I'd never, I'd never been able to find it, and I don't yeah. know why. And in my re most recent playthrough, I looked up like a guide as to how to find it, and I never knew that you could go in there and like find Duncan's shield and have that conversation with Alistair. And it just reminded me of Absolutely. why I love the games. There's so many little things. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So many little unique little trinkets that you just find new things, or you have a different playthrough, or you romance someone different, and you have a newfounded love for a, a different character. Like that's exactly what I went through with Mass Effect this year. I used to be all in for Miranda Lawson. I used to have a certain Paragon playthrough with my male Shepherd, but then you know what? I went. I'll play as Femshep. I'll romance Liara. I'll do choices that I don't normally do, and that's ended up being one of my brand new favorite playthroughs because I've done things I haven't done before. And then you see all those unique, you know, choices and consequences and just the dynamic of it and that replay value that, that Bioware pull off. No, it really is great, isn't it? And especially with Dragon Age when the world is so big and we've got so many different choices and consequences we can do and Dragon Age Origins as well, the whole origin story system and how that comes into play, it, it's it's honestly spectacular, isn't it? I really hope the origin system uh, returns in some capacity in the next game. Yes. And I had a actually had a similar experience to you with uh, Miranda Taliara. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, never really. romanced Sarah before, before this year. Oh, yeah. And before I didn't really like her character, I didn't really take her yeah. very often. But after yeah. romancing her with a Kunari, uh, coincidentally, that she really <laughs> likes, yeah. I actually got to understand her character a bit more and I actually appreciate her more for what she is. Still yeah. not a favorite, but I, but, I definitely but, like yeah. her a bit more than but I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, that, that appreciation for her has increased. You know, she's not just, I mean, she is whack, completely whack. But I love that about her. You know, I love that kind of... For me, she doesn't yeah. fall into a stereotype because she's so off the beaten path. Yeah, for me, it was always... I couldn't ever figure out what to do to get her approval. Like, I knew, yeah. you know, yeah. hate on nobles, help the downtrodden. But sometimes, like, her approval and disapproval would conflict. Yeah. And then after the romance, I was like, oh, that explains why she didn't like me doing this. Because it references, like, her connection to her mother and the cookies and all yeah, that. And perpetuating, yeah. like, that type of thing. It was... It was really eye-opening, and I really enjoyed that, because now I enjoy her character more. I had a similar thing with Cole. I'd never managed to get Cole to, like, maximum approval to get a few of those extra scenes, like going to the, the restaurant with him in Val Royale. Yes, yeah, I love until I did a Solus, Until I did a Solus romance, and, like, I took him along, because they pair really well together. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you have to experience more of that as well, because Cole, I went through a transition with Cole. I used to not like Cole, and I know it's sacrilege to say, and, and, and I'm upset that I, that I think that way. I used to think that way, sorry. But, um, like, Cole is a very hard character to initially get, I think. I think you need to spend time actually getting to understand Cole. And if you don't do that, it kind of, you, you can't, it just kind of, 
is on the side and he doesn't have much involvement, you need to go out of your way to try and like Cole or to try and understand Cole. And I think if you don't do that, you're not giving him the best justice he can as a character because so much of him is kind of fragmented. And I think, it, I don't know, it just takes time for him to grow on you. But I think once you grow on him and once you get him, I, I, you, I adore him. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. Yeah. It, it's I, probably also uh, a bit difficult because a lot of his stories in asunder the exactly. book yeah exactly. and they didn't yeah. have they didn't have too much to play out like i'd never read asunder um prior to this year as well so yeah. for the past few years i never really knew his story i'd always like i've, I've done the human and spirit playthrough i, I usually yeah. stick with human because i like how he changes yeah. and then there was a voice line when i was in the hinterlands with him and cassandra and he's like cassandra do you hate me for killing the lord seeker and i was like what what uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did it yeah, yeah. I, th I thought it was the current lord seeker this whole time what yeah. the hell <laughs> I think what's also interesting though, as much of his character is locked off in Asunder, his, his even more of his character is locked off in the Templar mission. So if you don't do that Templar mission, there's also fundamental aspects of his character that you're not getting because you started with the mages. And I think that's also a detriment to his character too, because within that mission, you understand he's a spirit, why he's in your head, what he's doing, why he has these certain things, what, like why he is not weird, but different in his way. And that mission fully yeah, explains yeah. it in a perfect way. But if you just do the mages, you don't get that understanding. And he's literally on the side as this guy in a weird hat being with this cryptic kind of these cryptic kind of messages. And you're like, who are you? What are you? Why are you here? And you don't yeah, get that. He just shows up at the gate. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, so that's the detriment of Cole. Unfortunately, a lot of his character is locked behind either a Templar mission or a Sunder. But I think if you do, like I said, if you do give him that time and energy, he is so, so bloody good. I love him so yeah. much. Honestly. I do find it strange that if you side with the Templars, you can actually go to the Redcliffe Chantry and talk with Dorian and get like the details behind Yeah, you can, yeah. Um yeah. Alexius and yeah. then go to the Templars then anyway, go, yeah. but you can't you can't you can't interact with Cole at all if you no, go for the mages. Like there's no that's, even hint to him. Yeah, that's the thing. At least you meet Dorian beforehand, but with Cole you don't. I think it would have been yeah, cool you, if they did that, you know, like you go I don't know if you could go to Ferenfall Redoubt, but if you went somewhere else, or maybe if you Cole was at Val Royale, you know, maybe they did something but yeah, no, that would have that would have been great. But, yeah. yeah, with meeting Dorian, you know what you're sacrificing to get the Templars. You're leaving the mages in the hands of a exactly. to Magister. Yeah, but with, with and the Templars you don't know what's going on. No, you the only hint you get is the uh, the Lord Seeker who is at the time the Envy Demon. Yeah. And I posted I posted about it in your Discord that in Therenfall Redoubt there's three different scenes where you can actually see the coal lurking in the background yes yeah when you're I walking through yeah you yeah in like when you're walking across the bridge he's amongst all the nobles when you're walking through the gates even though he doesn't have a hat he's just sitting on the um the construction on like the wooden planks on the side and he's just looking down at you yeah. and the third one i don't think it is him but there's like a, a crow somewhere with like a green aura just watching you the whole time i love that i love the, the fact that he is there just watching everything go by. Even if, you know, you met Dorian and Redcliffe, if you could have met Cole and Redcliffe at a different part of Redcliffe or something like that, or like, you know, Lair, to at least introduce you to the Templars, uh, just, just to give you a little bit more of exposition, because it is like, oh yeah, there's so much going of the mages and we don't know anything about the Templars, so choose. It's like, oh, well, obviously I want to go with the mages because I just met this really cool mage and this have got this really cool, you know, Alexis is doing something and I don't know anything about the Templars, so why would I do that? So I think that it very much, the Dry Inquisition does hook you to do the mages. It feels more default than Templars. It would have been interesting if we could have met him, um, the southern realms of Ferelden, where oh, there's the, the water with, like, all the undead. 
Yeah, if yeah. you could have met him there trying to help, like, the spirits trapped in the undead corpses before you go to the Templars, like, you could have been trying to free them or aid the ones that are suffering because of the, um, the curse that's there with the Avar yeah. um, castle. And it would suit him as well, that kind of area, wouldn't it? <laughs> really would have fit in, especially with the, the big hat. But no, yeah, I, I love Cole. I really do. He is my son. I adore him so much. And now I feel bad that I didn't like him at one point because he is so, so well-developed and so good. And, and his dialogue about Fen Harrell is like the best theory crafting stuff ever. Just for those tiny little pieces of dialogue he has given us. It's like, okay, now we can understand so much about the elves, uh, Solas, the elven pantheon and all that stuff. And it's great. Every single line he says is just spun off into countless theories all over the internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Hopefully my, my new theory is out by this point, but it's literally a lot of just cold dialogue. <laughs> just like, yep, he said that. Okay, and he said this, and he said that. Okay, cool. Theory time. I've seen, I've seen a bunch of theories, like... I don't think it's true, but there's a bunch of different lines he says that people think could reference the Warden or the Orlesian Commander. Oh, yeah. Coming back in 4. There was something like... Although you turned back the tide of darkness, you'll need to fix the time when the sky goes dark or something like that. And everyone's like, oh, the warden might come back. Now that would be sick. Although I highly doubt I'll get, I'll get, we'll get it. In the next game, I really want to see either my warden or at least know how their story ends. Yeah, to have some closure about that. Even if it was a codex yeah. or like, a, oh yeah, they're with Liliana or Morrigan or... Alistair or Zevron and they're doing XYZ and they're happy or they're not happy, whatever, you know. Or they found a cure to the calling and that's been instrumental to Fadus and XYZ, whatever. Yeah, I think I've mentioned it before that um, maybe what's happening at the Warden base is, besides the Griffins, maybe there has been a cure to the Blight, but yeah. it strips the Wardens of their power so no one's going to want to stay as a Warden or something revolving around that. That'll be interesting. We found a cure for the Blight. Ah, oh, but if you keep getting cured, you can't help if there is another Blight. You need to stay and fight Darkspawn instead yeah. of living a happy life. <laughs> so I suppose no, talking but, about yeah. the next game, though, how, how excited are you for the next game? I'd say that I'm cautiously optimistic, but I yeah. can't hide the excitement I do feel every time they reveal something new. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm tempering my expectations. I'm thankful that they've gotten more time and that yeah. they've been able to spin it into a fully single player game they've been leaking out environments and little bits of like the beta combat they had in the last trailer against yeah. the like the, the little... spider with hands which was yeah. freaky <laughs> <laughs> even those tiny teasers get us going it's like ah like i know yeah. hype is not a good thing hype kills games but the excitement the fact that dragon edge 4 is going to be in existence and it is in the works and there is going to be one one day is surreal enough, regardless of what the next game is going to be about. The fact that Dragon Age is not dead and it's going to be a single-player game, it's exciting. It really is, you know. It's it's really gets us going. It's it's like yes, like this this franchise is returning hopefully to its roots, and we're getting another entry, and it's going to look gorgeous on the Frostbite engine, despite the difficulties Bioware have had. It's still going to look gorgeous, and hopefully they've learned from previous mistakes with Andromeda and from Inquisition. That it will be a good a good game in terms of the frostbite and learning those techniques and you know all that kind of stuff because Inquisition was great it was great as much flack as people give it online not bothered about that I thought it was a really really great game despite its technical difficulties so if they can mimic that but with seven plus years of experience with the frostbite engine I'm sure they can create an amazing follow up 
honestly. Especially since they have like mo they're reusing the code from Anthem to like get yeah. them off the ground easier. And they've got motion and... capture technology too. So yes. animations should look way better. And you've got the Anthem code base, many, many years of experience. Obviously, Unreal Engine would be great because Bioware, I think that's what Mass Effect used. I can't remember. I think Dragon Age used it. No, I think Mass Effect used the Eclipse engine, which is a form of the Unreal Engine. And I can't remember what engine Dragon Age or, or used. It could have been Unreal. I don't think it was. But um, even, I know that the Unreal Engine would be easier. And I think that's this, this talk that Mass Effect is going to do the Unreal Engine in, in the future. But given that that's not the case at the moment, at least they've got the experience, they've got the staff, and they've got the code base to do it. And it could, and it should hopefully be all right. And hopefully they have more support from DICE this time and EA technicians who weren't so helpful with Inquisition and who kind of like pushed aside, well not Inquisition, it was more Andromeda. They kind of pushed them aside for like other projects in EA. And then that was mainly, a, I think, an issue with Andromeda where they needed technicians, they needed help with the Frostbite for this new studio in Montreal, Bioware Montreal. Yeah, and um, yeah, the EA technicians were, were working on other, they were shuffled to other projects and they were kind of given left to kind of just work out for themselves. So hopefully they, they don't need to do that anymore. Hopefully they do have the help and support that they can, they deserve for, for creating the best Dragon Age title possible. Yeah, especially since uh, Battlefield 2042 released recently. So they, they should have a few like spare hands they can send over to help with any issues that are popping up in their pre-development cycle. Well, for sure. Yeah, like that game's coming out really soon. I know the open beta was the other day, but like oh, that's considering it it's at that point though, yeah, surely like there'll be people who can leave that ship and go to Dragon Age. Interestingly Just enough though, like Battlefield is a good is a good example because I think EA hired another studio to take their time of a project to then work on Battlefield. I can't remember what studio it was, but they had all hands on deck for Battlefield to ensure that they could create the best Battlefield game possible. Hopefully they could do that with Dragon Age. Get more hands on deck for the, you know, for the Frostbite. If they need it, of course. If they don't need it, that's fine. But, you know, give give ba Dragon Age that support too. Don't just give it to Battlefield. Yeah, Battlefield's great and all, but like, you know, Battlefield will always be fine. Battlefield is not a sinking ship at the moment, is it? <laughs> you know? No, it's, it's wrecking in millions. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Dragon Age, for Bioware, it does feel like, and then this is, I'm not trying to be a monger, but it does feel like it's a last stand. Andromeda's mixed, diversive opinions. I thought it was okay, but generally it was not well loved. Anthem was a flop, and yeah, it's it's like, okay, can we hopefully, yeah, hopefully they will. We have seen EA cancel uh, studios for less, so. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at least happy that they're getting their shot and they're, they're giving them the time. They're, they're obviously putting their faith in Bioware, but it also does feel like a, this is your last chance. Yeah, and I know that Mass Effect is in the works, but I do think if Dragon Age isn't a success, or isn't at least, I, I, I think, and I see this online a lot, it can't just be a good game, it needs to be amazing. I don't know if I believe that, but I think it's interesting to think about. Like, Dragon Age, yeah, it needs to be great, but it needs to, it needs to actually knock the ball out of the park. And that's given by my pressure, but like, given what has what's happened recently, I think it does need to be a really, really good success. It needs to be a hit, just to show that Bioware are back, so they can then continue their legacy, and they can, you know, push ahead forward with, with the current the correct path. But, I don't know, that could just be a little bit of YouTube clickbait, but I think that, no, I think it's got some merit to it. Bioware do need a win, they need a big win, and I think that, not, not just in terms of, you know, the fans and, and consumers, but also just in terms of EA, and, you know, the recent flops they've had, they do need a win. They they really do. And, you know, Mass Effect Legendary Edition was a great win for them. That that sold many, many, many copies. And, I mean, I don't know how hard it is to remaster a game, but they did that really well. I, I thought that the yeah, changes yeah. they added were great. And, yeah, that was really good. It revitalized this, uh, the series and managed to bring in a lot more fans as well. On the topic of needing that win, one thing that has given me a lot of... Um, 
uh, hope for Dragon Age is from that pre-teaser like trailer we got the combat with the warden with like the shield up and oh, rolling yeah. around the abilities yeah. i do like what i saw there of like it's not just like the like dragon age inquisition i I felt that the warriors like movement was kind of limited unless you yeah. took a few skills whereas it looks like that's just like a regular ability like being able to dodge out of the way and that they yes, might have incorporated please. some of some of some of anthems like please. more reaction based um like yes, dodge mechanics please. and oh, i also that. like i like that it was um like zoomed in and over the shoulder instead of like like instead of being 20 meters away it was like sitting yeah. on your shoulder and it felt more close and like almost claustrophobic against the um like the lich it looked to be fighting that's what i loved and actually about the dodges what was cool obviously when the warrior dodged i think it'd be cool if each class has a different dodge warriors just dodge maybe, maybe the rogues could like do a flip as they go flip. yeah and then mages could the mages like, could like fade step like they're, they're yeah, the yeah. fade step. That's what I was thinking. That would be really cool. But I don't... As, as long as everyone can dodge this time, it would be great. Because I think that separating that between rogues, warriors, and mages was a bit weird. Because warriors could... could they, like, they, could, they, they could do their roll or their sprint. charge. The rogues had, like, their chain hook jump, to pull them jump. in and then kick off. They, yeah, had, they had their had backwards, like, archer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they also had all their invisibility step. spells. Besides fade step, yeah, mages didn't really have any other means of escape. So I hope that they I think there might have been yeah. one in the Night Enchanter subclass. Although that's yeah. another thing I hope to see in the game is um with subclasses I hope to see more crossover. We've talked about this before, like the yes. almost like the, 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 the triangle theory of subclasses, like get the usual like necromancer and like blood mage or something. Warriors can have their like warden and blood reaver, rogues can have the assassin and archer and stuff like that, but have some crossover, like bring back the arcane warrior. Yes. Or even maybe like an arcane rogue, someone who shoots like magic arrows out of a bow. The rogue can have like an arcane trickster going in with daggers and casting like illusion spells or like in like the fear spells from Dragon Age Origins and like the entropy um class. Oh, and the warriors yeah. can have like battle mage buffing themselves or like AoEs when they get hit and like buffing their shield. Warriors could cross over with rogues and have like a duelist class and the rogues could similarly cross over with warriors and maybe sneak around with a giant greatsword. <laughs> Be amazing. Like something that I always talk about though, I want the bard class back. Why did they that get would rid of be that? a good rogue? The thing about bards and dragon ages, it's kind of confusing now because. They're, but yeah, they're both the assassins and yeah. sometimes also mages. Yeah, and... they've got you got the class, and then you've got like the social archetype for bard. And Liliana was both in Origins. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so you've got bards in Origins, which are rogues, just full-on rogues, but then also Occupation, she's also a bard too. And then in Inquisition, it's like, okay, Zither is a bard, but he's also a mage, so he's a bardic mage. So it's like, okay, can we just have both then? Can we, can, can we say that bards are like mage rogue hybrids? Because that's what I did with my D&D &D character. I'm like, okay, he's a bard, but he's a mage bard. Because in Dragon Age, it seems like it, it is that way. Bard is more of a social thing where it, it doesn't really matter. Why can't we have a bard that could be a warrior, mage, or a rogue? Or maybe just a stick between rogues and, and mages. So, I, yeah, I want to be a bard again. Yeah, just, it, like, just I, let your bard have like a lute and their pick or like their little instrument yeah. can be like a focusing crystal for a mage and they just play and let the music like, like even like a lyrium pick to be able to like be like affect the fade around them yeah like zither in inquisitions multiplayer has his hand and he pulls out of his staff and he just throws magic at people and he casts different spells so you, you'll do like xxx and that'll create an ice combination and you'll press a button and you will cast an ice spell with your guitar string by strumming your guitar and then you'll cast a movement spell by pressing xyx and then you'll go faster and it is such a cool dynamic and i know they probably couldn't do it in a single player aspect but they could they could literally copy that. No, you know what? They could copy those animations, copy that kind of that thing. There you go. There is a mage class as a bard. It's amazing. 
and I loved it. And I would love to have it in a single player entry. Like, you know, especially when we are going to Tavinta, we're going to new places. It, it, it made full with magical possibilities. I know that bards are kind of an Elysian thing. Even so, I want to see it. I, I think I think it could be amazing. But something like a bard. It doesn't have to be a bard, but like that kind of um, musician uses instruments as weapons and casts song spells. Could be something different yeah, in Tavinta. But... You could even have a mechanic around if the enemy can't hear you or if they're wearing helmets, you're less effective against yeah, them or something like yeah. that. Honestly, it would be amazing. And I and they've done it. That's the thing that gets me. They've done it in Inquisition, in multiplayer. So it's like, all right, let's have this in a mainline entry. No, we talked a lot about what, what, what we'd like to see. So I think we should streamline into a big conversation we want to have about dark fantasy. As we know, Dragon Age has been, uh, it's a dark fantasy genre. It's been dark fantasy since Origins. And it's kind of departed from its dark fantasy genre since Inquisition. For some some good, some bad. I think, I don't know. I think a, a dark fantasy return would be a good thing. But what, what do you think is appealing about dark fantasy, about the dark fantasy genre relating to Dragon Age. Relating to Dragon Age, I think what originally appealed to me was at the time I hadn't played a lot of like dark fantasy games and my first Dragon Age game was two and yeah. my dad got it for me at like out of like a bargain bin and I played that game for like a year or two before I even knew there was an, or a, an Origins, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I, I wasn't very smart, obviously. It was number two. <laughs> but the moment that stuck with me from that game was... You know, there was like the blood that stayed in your character, which I'd never seen before. There was all the blood magic rituals. And the thing that stuck with me most was what happens to Hawk's mother. No. The tearing different women apart to recreate someone. And like, he would have severed her head and like re-stitched it to a different body and then was keeping her alive with necromatic magic. I remember seeing that and I was like, that is extremely messed up. <laughs> and... Just that guttural reaction, I instantly hated the villain along, like, I already did despise him because he was wanting to win other women, but I felt that guttural reaction of, that's what he did to my character's mother. Yeah. And in the scene where Hawk, like, is just cradling his his or her mother, even if you pick, like, the the wise-cracking line, when if that's who you've been playing with, it's still just, like, dripping with sadness and just, like, trying to cover up the happiness. And I think it's that... Yeah, like the, the dark fantasy can just hit you so gutturally. Oh, yeah. It's not afraid to pull punches. Things Absolutely. in this world are horrible and it's going to show you to them. Like Origins, taking the city elf origin, what happens towards the end of that regarding the, the Lord's son. Don't even need to bring that up. It makes you able to hate the villains more for the despicable things they do. But at the same time, it also makes better villains, I find, because it kind of blurs the lines between what really makes good and evil, because there's a lot of good yeah, for, for sure. some people yeah. and good for others. Like, yeah. Solus is the perfect example, because he's trying to rebuild his people's homeland. He's trying to aid the people who have been suffering for so long. But to do so, he has to slaughter every other living thing and break yeah. down the veil. Yeah. In his eyes, he's doing good, and to the people he'll save, they'll hail him as a god, as a savior, but to everyone else, he's currently the villain of the world. Yeah, it's that moral complexity, isn't it? The thing about dark fantasy compared to high fantasy and other types of fantasy, that it's more real, it's more palpable, more of a surreal experience of, oh, this is the world, it's this kind of crappy experience, it's everything is awful, nothing is good. And unfortunately, I know it sounds very, very, very um, pessimistic, but that is like the real world at times, you know? You're down on your luck, it's not good experiences, and, and having that in Dragon Age, it just brings out those real aspects of our real world. But on top of that, 
you do have friends, you build a family, companions, romances that make the world, that fill up this dark, dark, awful world and bring you happiness. And that's also just like real life too. As much as this world can be awful, you'll have family, friends and always people that support you. And that's exactly what Dragon Age is all about. It's that surreal fantasy fulfillment of, of, of getting through the world, of getting through this crappy world with, with companions, friends and family, of becoming someone who can rise above that and can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, and, and that's that's great. And, and, and the themes, I love that. I love the themes it incorporates, blood magic, necromancy, all the kind of things that go into it that make this really dark universe that gives the player these choices of what they want to do and how they handle these really serious situations. It's great. And I feel like both Origins, few RPGs, I only think of The Witcher, really do that. And that's what that's what defined Dragon Age at the start. Its inception was these dark choices, having these dark paths and avenues open to you and deciding what you want to do. Like for, for example, all I think about is Connor. Do you want to kill Connor? Do you want to do the right thing and go get the mages to, to, to get rid of this demon? Or do you want to sacrifice him? All that stuff. Yeah. It's those small moments of brevity, like going back to your camp and conversing with your yes. your romance or just your friends and having those nice nice conversations and then immediately watching the blood dripping onto the map as you go off to your next destination where Absolutely. things could be horrible. Yeah. And just specifically with Connor, at the time when I, when I played Origins a few years after having two, the amount of choice there was in Origins cannot be overstated. In most games, it would just be like, you gotta go get the mages to save this kid. He'll be here when you get back. Whereas in Origins, I went upstairs to try and check on the king and then Connor comes out and there's the option to kill him. Yeah. And then there was the option to sacrifice his mother. And I was like, oh my God, I did not think I would be allowed to kill the demon child. Yeah. And then I felt horrible after doing it for the first time. And I was like, I've ruined everything. <laughs> no. Oh, but his dad's awake. And the first thing he asks, where's Connor? It's yeah. like, ah, oh, this um, is not a good start. Don't ask. <laughs> Um, technically, shops. technically he's fine. <laughs> um, he's in a better place. <laughs> the maker's watching dead. over him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Yana, you'll vouch for me, right? <laughs> but I think that's what defined Dragon Age, and I think it's all those themes that you get. Broodmother's dark spawn. All of oh, these the broodmother. We don't need yeah. to talk about the broodmothers. <laughs> it all goes into this dark fantasy, and I think. Inquisition did pull it away a little bit, but I understand for its reasons of like expanding the plot and you, you're not just the hero for Elden or Hawk, this kind of smaller role. You're, you, you know, you're, you're in all of Thedas. And I think if you look for the dark stuff, it's there. It really is there. I just think- Yeah, they still lean into think, it here and there in parts. There were still the occasional like Tevinta, like blood rituals. Yeah, um, Nightmare Demon and Envy Demon. And Riffius himself is, is obviously a very dark character and what he's trying to do. and. It is departing from that dark fantasy genre, but I think it I think it's been a natural departure. I don't think it's a forced departure of we can't do that again. I think it's just like, you know what? The direction of Dragon Age isn't going is to be so dark and typical. It's actually changing because the plot's changing. We've gone through these dark yeah. antagonists of yep, Archdemon, obviously a very evil character, you know. Yep, Corypheus. There is no redemption in Corypheus. But now we are changing the that the, you know the, the, the game is totally changing. We saw last he was a very morally great character. I think if it was dark fantasy, which I wouldn't mind, it doesn't fit the tone of the game, which is to be grey. So I think that's what the, the the developers, at least it's what I see what they're doing. They're shifting those tones from less dark, less this crap sack world, and more of this shifting grey of, well, actually... I feel like in the next game, they could have the best of both worlds. Like when you're yeah, in yeah. Tevinter, you could easily just have 
full, full on dark death. Yeah, fantasy. Sure. Everything's yeah. horrible. When you're going to Weishaupt, you pr- it'd probably be like lighting up a bit for whatever's going on there. And wherever else you journey, things would be light up. But the closer you get to Devinter or yeah. like just around yeah. the area, like blood magic's frowned upon, but they all practice it. Like there's just so many horrible things. There's slavery. You're not going to be able to really move past that without really touching into those darker themes. And every game had a reason for what it was. Like Dragon yeah, Age Origins sure. is, in my opinion, is probably the darkest one so far. Yeah, it is. Because you're in the middle of essentially a zombie apocalypse <laughs> with... <laughs> People with women being taken to be created into broodmothers. People were being slaughtered. Or the person in charge was killed by his most trusted general and he was turning them on the only people who could save the day. There was no way that was going to be a high fantasy game. Dragon Age 2 was a little less so, but you were a refugee amongst hundreds who poured in from that apocalypse. And just as things start to get better, the tension between the Templars and Mages forced them to turn to blood magic, which starts to make things horrible again. And by the end, it just all collapses into this yeah. whole boiling pot, which goes under New Inquisition. And that war's still going on, but since it's so widespread and you're more focused on like closing closing the fade, and it's just about the demons. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's it, there's not really too much space to lean into that dark fantasy because yeah, it's yeah. more about saving the world as opposed to fighting this one chaotic dark force. Exactly. Inquisition, it's all about literally uniting Southern Thedas against Corythius, against his army, against, you know, to, to, to fix the breach. It's much more widespread and not as honed in and personal as both Origins and 2 are. They are very personal journeys where you can really get into those emotions and those characters where you can kill the main character's mother and have an entire quest dedicated to that and dealing with that. You don't get that in Inquisition because the plot is less about, it's still about the hero, but it's less, it's less of a personal journey and more of a hero's journey. It's more of just an, a great undertaking and, a, and about, you know, literally the ultimate fantasy fulfillment of defeating a great, great evil, b- building an army, having your own castle. And yeah, it, it's less about like underdogs rising up like Origins in 2. You literally are a, a verified celebrity in Vedas as the Inquisitor. Yeah, at, at every point in Inquisition, when you feel a high, it's immediately taken from you. Yeah. You close yeah. the breach, Corypheus destroys your town. You finally manage to fend off Corypheus and feel like you've got the upper hand. He reopens the breach and is about to like send the Temple of Ashes hurtling towards the ground. And Even at the end, like, Solas leaves you. <laughs> You yeah, know, like... Solace leaves you and reveals that he's a, an ancient dead god who's come to tear down the veil, <laughs> and Trespasser just builds on that. And then takes you around. Whereas, <laughs> takes it, but also saves it. it. And I do like that, whether he was your rival, friend, or lover, he still has a reason to keep you around, whether it's arrogance, or yeah. caring for his friend, or just wanting his lover to last a few more years. I do find it a little weird with the whole um, Solavalin one simply because you know i don't want you to see what i'm going to become go live your life you'll die in a few years with everyone else but i don't want you to see what i'll become i'd rather you be dead in a few years he, he didn't want sullivan i uh, didn't want the villain to die by the cunari so that's why he would rather they die i think in peace and die being ravaged or being slaughtered by the cunari or being taken over by the cune and then die so that's what it means. He'd rather they weren't captive to the Cunari or were killed by the yeah. Cunari because he despises. I was about to swear. Then. <laughs> he despises yeah. the Cunari. Despises the Cune and, and all of it. I do understand that, but I still find it a bit yeah, weird. Even when, yeah, and I appreciate yeah. that they gave you the option when you can even say, "I want to go with you." Yeah, like I know. you can insinuate to Solus yeah. that I don't care what you become. I just want to stay with you, yeah. and he still 
you can even see in the facial animations like he's pained when you say that yeah he's like oh i wish i could do it too but i can't i wonder if there's an option in four where your um inquisitor might inadvertently help solace because she doesn't want him to die at the hands of the new protagonist or the um Evanurus. It'll be cool if they kind of die together, but I know it's very, very, like, edgy. And, and I think that would mainly be a Lavelle, and not just Inquisitor, that would be a Lavelle thing. But it'd be cool if they did die together. But, I mean, that's also, like, I don't really want Celeste to die. I also don't want my Lavelle yeah. to die. But, you know, it'd be cool if they just had a final moment together where they just, you know, Celeste doesn't want to die alone. That's his greatest fear. You know, Inquisitor, maybe she, she wants to be with Solas. All right, Romeo and Juliet's down then, you know? like or to stop him from completing it, she willingly sacrifices herself to die while taking him with her. But yeah. you know, his last moments are realizing that he's not dying alone. Just because I brought up the Evanurus, I feel like Four has the opportunity to lean into the dark fantasy sure, again, yeah. because I hope it does something similar with Origins, where every time you find an Evanurus, it's centered around something dark and horrible going on. Like in Origins, no matter where you go, there was something wrong going on. The Mage's oh, yeah. Tower, abominations, abominations and blood magic, people being yeah. slaughtered and turned into demons. You go to the Deep Roads, just brood mothers and... Yeah. the insinuations of how they were created. You go to the elves and it's a bit, it feels a bit lighter going there because, you know, it's like, oh, the sun's shining, like everything yeah. seems fine here. But then... And there's an ancient, there's the ancient ritual of the keeper because his uh, children were what? violated and yeah. Yeah. he had to turn that back to, yeah, and he had to turn that back on the humans and now different people are suffering, including his own people, but his pride is stopping him from undoing it and his hatred. So they could have something like that, like Gil and Nan making her horrible creations. You could fight like very twisted, like mangles of flesh just carved together oh, from yes. whatever she could grab to like send your hero. You can go into a town and just see like the remnants of the people that maybe haven't been like pulled into creatures. And then you see like just different limbs just sprouting from a very hastily created creature just to slow you down and, and like centipedal monsters with yeah. human faces yeah oh. like every every single one of the elven gods has a way to create something horrible out of the people of fate to send against your hero in their own ways too where it, it's completely different and unique to the other like again creating monsters to uh, they speak about Din, who because of his because he had such a huge vanity he literally he, he filled up pools and lakes of blood because of the sacrifices that he wanted from his folk worshippers. Pretty dark stuff, but like you can just imagine them loose on Thedas and what they would do to the people, what they would try and do to our hero, what they would try to do to Solas, all the kinds of things they could do and how they, yeah, they could definitely bring back that dark fantasy tone to a, to a whole new level, you know, of what they did. Especially when you add Red Lyrium to the mix, like oh, yeah. Inquisition, I felt that most of the dark fantasy came around the twisted abominations of the the Red Lyrium. Like the Red Lyrium Templars just watching them mid-combat like just sprout just like the, yeah. the mangled limbs and the Lyrium just like jutting out of their bones. It happens every single fight, but when you consider it, that's really messed up. Just regular humans wanting to do good have been tainted by this rock and just sprout into an abomination yeah. mid-fight. And they're force-fed it, and you can see, like, when you go to the future and you see your companions are, like, growing this stuff, and there's just, like, the the black veins coursing through their eyes. They know they're dead. And the Alistar's mother carries the... the blight as well, though, is, is it just brings it all full circle, doesn't it? It's like, oh my goodness, it just brings it all together, the fact that it's just Red Lurium now containing the blight. Coming back together of this is all blighted stuff. Fiona, that was her name. Yeah, Fiona's like 90% Lyrium by the end. And 
we, everyone talks about Red Lyrium, Solus, and the Idol, and what could happen with like the Dreadwolf coated in Red Lyrium. But what if the Evanurus get to it first? What well, if yeah, the Evanurus are all yeah. tainted well, by Red Lyrium? That's another. That's another theory of like, what if the Evanurus? What if the reason that they became so mad and their lust for power? What if they mined the Titans for Lyrium? That Lyrium turned into Red Lyrium, and they were blighted. And that's why they became lustful in the first place for their power because they had literally been. Blighted. I think something like that has got to have happened. Right? What what would have brought them to Kilmafal? I think they could have totally just gone up in Kilmafal anywhere. But I think this this shift in they mined the Titans for their body. They 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 are creating bodies from Lyrium, and then suddenly the Evanurus are now going and killing Mafal. It's like what happened within that process? What happened for them to do that? And I think they are either blighted or they were maddened by Red Lyrium. But even it's a story about Andrewl who spoke of things forgotten and brought a darkness to the lands, a plague to the lands. And Mafal took that darkness away from her. That literally yeah, the sounded like the blight. Yeah, she just spoke of things unforgotten, but uh, but she literally plagued the lands. And it's like, okay, is that the blight then? And then Mafal took that off her. Does that explain why Mafal has a relation to the blight then? So did Andrew, did the forgotten ones, or did someone like that create the blight? And that's what, where it originally came from. And that's why the Evanurs are so mad, because they are blighted, just like the Magisters. It could be a Meredith case where, although they yes, weren't blighted yeah. themselves, they spent too much time around Red Lyrium, and it mm. slowly started turning their darker uh, like tendencies and just making them yeah, aggressive. Maybe yeah. tried to take it away or do something, and that's why they turned on her. Well, we know that they created bodies from Lyrium. What if they also created bodies from Red Lyrium? So they literally inhabited Red Lyrium bodies. So no wonder they became crazy and they were mad with power. They literally could have been in Red Lyrium bodies, which would have been insane powers, insane magic. You know, we know that Red Lyrium carries the blight. It would have been blighted magic, like Corypheus has too. So it's kind of that relation there of, I think it's I think it's foreshadowing of like, okay, so you've gone from the Archdemons and their relation to the Elven Gods. Now you've gone from Meredith, Red Lyrium, and that also relates to the Elven Gods. You've gone from Corypheus, Magister's Darkspawn, and that again relates to the blight how is that all going to come together and it's like okay well the Evanurus were blighted and they were maddened by red lurium and that's your next foe or whatever i think it all does come together in that regard it's, it's definitely interesting for sure and, and it, it could just create some mental narratives it really could and, and it excites me you... the prospect of that excites me i am very excited to see what they do with the Evanurus. But I've been wondering, do you think that they'll appear like Solus, where they could blend in with society fairly easily? Or do you think that after they're released, they'll turn out like Corypheus, like completely mangled, their mind not quite what it once was, confused to their surroundings, and just un with unbridled power and lyrium making them into mini-abominations, essentially? And That's the years between in yeah. years in between Inquisition and, well, whatever 4 ends up being... After Solus releases them, they'll just be untamed and chaotic across the land. And that's why he thinks he can take care of them, because they won't be in their right mind, similar to how Corypheus was when he was released yeah. by Hawk. Yeah, I think that's how I imagine them. Like, they are just already festering and already ready just to go crazy on Thedas. I don't know. I think they might even be subverted, though. I think some subversion that maybe they're not as... I don't know. I, I, I want to think that... I, I I don't want it to be as typical as it sounds. You know what I mean? Like From Solus's perspective, I feel like he is technically correct, but... Yeah, yeah. What if it, it ends up being a similar uh, situation of, although both sides are bad and are going to do horrible things, what if yeah. your protagonist has to choose between aiding Solus or aiding the Evanurus oh. and, unleashing, and unleashing them on the land once Solus is gone? But that's the better option, slavery yeah. or extinction or something like that. Choose between the destruction of this land for the destruction of the Vale or choose between defeating Solus for sheer havoc of what the Evanurus could do to this world. 
Yeah, they could. I, I would like, like some subversion because I don't want to believe all of them are bad. I know the majority of them are definitely bad. I get that, but I don't want every single one of them to be bad. I want like at least June or like Silas to have at least been somewhat all right. But I just don't like the I idea that difficult. all of them are bad. I find it difficult to believe that every single one of them had a hand in killing Mithal. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't believe that she was powerful enough that they all had to team up on her. Some of them may have been complicit, and he may have thrown them all into the same loop. Yeah. And that's why he banished them all. But I, I don't believe that every single one of them had the intention to kill Mithal. Or if they did, maybe some, maybe being locked away, some of them were able to resist the temptation of the Red Lyrium or like the, the madness that it construed around them. Yeah. On, on the subject of Mithal, how do you think she's going to return? I think that she will return in her new vessel, which will be Morrigan. There's some subversion around that too, I think. I think um, you were never in danger of me. You shouldn't. Oh, you don't have to worry about me, Morrigan. I think that people misconstrue that. I don't think. That, I don't think that her by her saying you were never in danger of me means that she is not going to take over Mafal and Morrigan's body. I think it literally it means that the power of Mafal is not something that should worry you. It is a gift. It is a boon. You are not going to be in danger by having this boon. I think that it's more about actually Morrigan's perception of Mafal as a demon. But the reality is she will be even more powerful than ever. She will have Mafal, she will serve Mafal. In Mafal's perspective, isn't as evil as it sounds, as Morrigan perceives it. So I think that but just because she says you are no longer in danger of me, that doesn't um, disclaim intent. I still think that there is intent on Mafal to possess or take over Morrigan's body. It's just about how Morrigan perceives it, and she needs to not perceive it as evil, because obviously a soul cannot be forced upon the unwilling. So I think that once Morrigan perceives Mafal's boon as something great, which I think she could do if she drank from the Well of Sorrows, then she will be the next of Mafal. Other than that, it has to be, it'd have to be Kieran. It'd have to be Kieran. Because if, if, if you don't yeah. have Kieran, then you're screwed. But then it would have to be Morrigan. So I think it's either Kieran or Morrigan. But I think Morrigan would, would do anything for, for Kieran not to be possessed. So I think that Flemeth or, or Mafal would put Kieran in a situation where Morrigan would have to accept Mafal's boon. So, so then she would have to then accept Mafal as her next vessel by putting Kieran in danger so that you know you you so as she said you know a soul will cannot be forced upon so then she would make Morrigan accept it by by, by threatening her essentially on top of that with the threat of the Evanuris and Solus being in the world, maybe it won't come down to not being unwilling, but deciding that accepting the soul is better than better dying than the with the rest of the world. Yeah, and exactly. that's that's exactly what Mathol expects because she knows what Solus's plan is. Yeah, yeah. And, and she knows that she needs a body anyway, and Morrigan is the only one that will do. Unless she has another daughter, which is rumoured in Navarra and the Navarran Varan Forests. Like, even so, Morrigan, in her entire life, has been groomed to be the next, next vessel. And I think it's just... There just needs to be a time where Morrigan will not perceive it as a witch, or she will perceive it as that the alternative is worse. Exactly like how Solus created the Veil. The alternative was worse. The Evanuris would have destroyed the world. So I, I think that it's just a matter of time when Mafa when Morrigan will be the new Mafal. And, I, and, I, and that's I have how seen, I think Dragon Edge will end. I have, I've seen some fan art that shows um, Morrigan in Flemeth's getup, but with still with her like youthful looks and like her black hair being in the horns. And I think yeah. that'd be a very cool scene to see. Absolutely. Just, just, just on cool scenes. Even if you don't expect it to ever show up in the next game, what is something you would love to see in the next game, oh. regardless of how fan service it is? Oh, yeah. or... I, I talked about this in my latest theory, which I imagine is up by this point. But um, I don't know what the Dreadwolf is. 
Is it a shape-shifting form of Solas, or is it a separate entity from Solas? Regardless of what it is, I either want Solas to transform into the Dread Wolf, or I want to see him riding or with the Dread Wolf. That is the ultimate fantasy fulfillment I want. I know we'll get it, but I, I would love, I just want to see the Dread Wolf, either its spirit form, or as Solas shape-shifting it. I don't understand the complexities behind it, but again, I'm exploring that in my latest theory, and I'm still writing that theory at this point, by the way, so I probably come to a conclusion in my new theory. But there is so much that we don't know about the nature of the Elven and the nature of the Ancient Elves and their, their shape-shifting forms. Uh, you know, we, we see that they have the, the, the form of the Divines and, and that there were reserved forms for the gods. And Dothman had a sinner who did take take the wings of that form at the behest of Gilanan. But we don't exactly know what these forms are and what the what, what did the Elvenurus exclusively have them. But as we know, Solas is described or is depicted as a Dread Wolf. And he somewhat has this Dread Wolf form. And it's also hinted in Trespasser when we see that like that. These codexes were like marked with wolf claws, and the the Kunari were, were scared when they had saw someone coming through, which could have just been Solas. But there's a lot of speculation about Solas either shape shifting or the Dreadwolf being a separate entity in the Fade. And obviously, into Winter Nights, it confirms that the Dreadwolf has taken full residence in the Fade. So I'm just wondering is that Solas shape shifting or is it a separate form of Solas? But regardless of that, I just want to see the Dreadwolf. I want to see him either destroying the veil, chasing after our new hero, rising up from the ashes, eating someone like he does in Tevin Tonight's. Uh, that, that, that is something that I hands down want to see. I think other than Solas rising, I would like to see a griffin. I would love to see not not ride, not flying oh, it, yes. not riding it. Maybe just a baby griffin and you get you get to pat it on the head. But <laughs> what about you? <laughs> oh, uh, just on the Solas, it'd be interesting if he could only take the form of his Dread Wolf when he's projected himself into the veil. Yes. Instead, because because he was he was yes. physically in the veil and he didn't seem worried about revealing anything when he was there. So maybe it's more like maybe he has to do like a meditation ritual or something, and he projects himself, and that's what he sees himself as this great wolf monster being able to achieve his goals or something. I have a lot of theories. Ultimately, though, I think that when he created the veil. He sundered the Elven Empire, and by sundered, he literally took aspects of the Elves out of themselves. Because even Sola said, the Veil took everything from the Elves, even themselves. So he sundered multiple aspects of the Elves' being, and we assume that the Elves were originally spirits. So therefore, when he sundered the, the, the world, he also sundered himself, which sundered the, the Dreadwolf form from him, and therefore it is a separate entity somewhere else in the world. Now, maybe... When he destroys the veil, the Dreadwolf has access to both realms, like the Evanurus would. Maybe that's also a reason why the Evanurus are so weak, because they are also sundered from themselves as well, just like Solas. So it explains why the Evanurus are locked in the beyond, and why Solas was somewhat okay because he stayed in the mortal realm. But he is still sundered from that form of himself. So when the veil was destroyed, if the veil were to be destroyed, Solas would, would have his full form back, as would the Evanurus, and that's what I think it's all about. That's when they can come back in full force and they could have that fight again. But for the moment, they have a nurse ascended from themselves and so is Solas. It would explain why he was so weak, why he couldn't unlock his orb, why he needed Mephal's help, and why he still hasn't got that dreadful form yet, and why it's in the fade, because it's still out there. Uh, but once he destroys the veil, I think, I think, this again, it's, it's a huge stretch. I think once he destroys the veil, he can then be both at the same time. Uh, maybe that is, then it is a shape-shifting thumb. Maybe then it is, you know, whatever. I don't know. But that's that's the theory I've got at the moment about it. 
I'm just imagining Solus and the Evanurus fighting in like titanically huge like demon forms yes. on the horizon oh. while your character's just on a mountain not being able to do a thing. That is what I was like love giant like ki see. like kaiju fights or something like that. And even if Solas has taken the false form, he wouldn't just be a dread wolf, he would be like an arch or a dragon dread wolf, like a draconic arch. dread wolf with wings or whatever. Archdemon wolf. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think would be amazing. So you'll just have a flying wolf against like an owl or against like a, a harla. You know, it would be amazing. What about uh, you? What, what scenes do you want to see? There's one scene that I've imagined, and there's no way they would put this in the game because of all the world states and everything. Well, maybe they would, but you just have to choose, change out party members. I want to see like a final confrontation with whoever the final boss ends up being. We'll put Solus here for now. And just like a side-on shot of Solus standing over a party of four, and that party of four being your warden, your hawk, your inquisitor, and your new... Um, oh, character yeah. like all, yeah. all four your other party members are like holding off the other spirits or whatever and it's just you get thrown in there all, all those four make it and you just get thrown into combat and you can just switch between all four of your characters oh, yes. as all the stories just converge to finally put a stop to Solus oh that would be but sick similar to when you meet Hawk in Inquisition at different points of the game it's just like would you like a default or a custom hero yeah. for Elden it's like what? <laughs> like, doing it. He's in the game. He's in the game. Yes. Oh. I think they should do that at the start. So then you don't know when it's gonna happen, but it's like but you'll know it's coming up at some point. But then you can get the surprise of okay, I've created my Inquisitor, I've created my hero for Elden at the start of the game before even loading it up, like with Ryder and your creative sister. And now it's just a case of wait of it'll happen when it happens, and that that is gonna be the surprise of when they walk yeah. in. Obviously, you'll spend every also... single moment going, when are they coming? Yeah. When are they coming? But at least... Yeah, but I feel like that would also him. spoil the surprise, whereas in Inquisition, yeah. like, Varric alluded to Hawk, and everyone was like, ah, oh, it has to be Hawk, or maybe yeah. it isn't, or something like that. And then as soon as you talk to him, it's like, customize. That's when you were just like, oh my god! Yeah. To be fair, they spoiled us, because they put that in the trailer. You could see Hawk and Alistair in one of the trailers, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I did like, see that, but I thought that yeah. was more like, just like concept of just like, yeah, true, like even, even they're fighting against this, um, whoever yeah. the enemy is, which was, um, Nightmare. turned out to be Corypheus. Yeah. I'd never played the, um, the Corypheus DLC for Dragon Age 2 before Inquisition. Legacy. Yeah, neither did I, that's why it was a bit of a surprise for me. I yeah, I was like, like oh, oh cool. it's, yeah. it's a, it's a red demon thing and hawk's like i've killed him i'm like i played your game no you didn't <laughs> wait what are you talking about is he one of the demons i fought when i was looking through grimoires yeah yeah but i think it was a better reveal if you didn't play it because you didn't kill him and you're like oh yeah i heard about corifis but then that's like oh he's a seventh majesty that's amazing but if you played the dragon age 2 dlc you're like oh wait i already dealed with him so, oh, okay. Wait, I think it's underwhelming for those who did. I think it would have been surprising to see like the red lyrium growing on him and like that the what that could have alluded to. But I guess it's impossible to tell unless you speak to someone that had done it. But just mentioning um the Magisters, oh, I, I want to see the gothic cyberpunk Tevinter so bad. Yes. I want to see the flying circle. I yeah. want to see what yeah. the streets of Minrathis all look like. Like all the all of it. Uh, I, I don't feel good saying I want to see slavery. But I want to see like <laughs> I want to see the themes and aspects that are all like centered around it, like their society that accepts it. The Maybe your character could yeah, might, like, one of your origins might be like if you play as a mage elf, you might start as a slave in service to a magister. 
I think I think to Vintage Society is one of the most exciting things. Just the altices and then having the sleepers or the soprani. Having all of these different social archetypes clash is going to be so good to see. So we had a slice of our Orlesian lifestyle and nobility in society. I'm so excited to get that for Tavinta. Just having, oh, that is, yeah. yeah. And even just you, you, seeing the fashion sense is going to get me. Oh, I always wanted to wear Dorian's robes over any of the major uh, yeah. robes that our Inquisitor got. They're so stylish. Yeah, and, and more of that, yes. And I think what's going to be cool, that, as you said before, like I think they could do this dual fantasy, this morally grey fantasy of, okay, Tevinter's really dark, and this is where a lot of, like, you get the dark fantasy themes. And then you go to Antiva, and it's literally Disneyland high fantasy. I think that could totally be a reality, where while it's not going to be all happy-go-lucky in Antiva, it's still going to have more of that high fantasy of these are the Antivan crows. This is nobility life. This is what it's like in the plutocracy. This is the, this is what we do in Antiva. Yes, the Cunari are banging down our doors and they are invading Antiva. Antiva City is safe and this is what life is like as the crows. This is what life is like in these beautiful streets in this Venice-like city. I think a lot of that's going to be a nice dynamic that we're going to have. Okay, you want to go and enjoy some dark fantasy? Go to Twinter, enjoy the, go through the streets. Okay, you want a bit more high fantasy, more nobility, more of that nice kind of that sense of fashion okay go go to antiva and i really do actually see that going ahead where you have that dynamic of not meshing up the genres but meshing up the tone and the themes of each city and i'm i, I i'm excited to see that i really am. I feel like they could almost parallel each other where you go to antiva yeah, and yeah, everything seems yeah. fine but you could just like look in a building and see a crow violently executing someone yes. everyone just goes yeah. on about their day and you just see <laughs> yeah. that and you're, you're you're wondering why no one's freaking out yeah. And then on the flip side, you go to Tevinter and there's slavery, there's blood magic, there's terrible like classism and everything happening there. But you also find people like Dorian who are trying to change it, like his allies, yes. and you yeah. you see the good in Tevinter. And Absolutely. one thing that I want to point out is the trailer that showed like the locations, like the Antivan castle with the weird like fade shield, the yes. streets yeah. of Minrathus with the floating circle and like the glowing signs. The Minrathus shot just like being on street level, looking up at the like floating city, which is like the dark, oppressive atmosphere. I want I want it to always be nighttime there and just have oh, that yeah. oh, claustrophobic yes. dark feel, like darting through a dark alley on like a walk home, like just that just that very terrifying like grimy feeling of not really knowing where you are but it always feels dangerous yeah i wonder i wonder if it'll have a day and night cycle or if tevinter will just always be dark or at least my rappers i don't i don't because i think if you saw that in the daylight it wouldn't be as thematic it would almost it would, feel you know, it would almost feel alien based on what because we, we've only been in southern theta so far it would look yeah. like in the day it'd look very alien and at night it would almost feel like you're in the deep roads with just yeah. how hostile it feels how cyberpunk it is, but even cyberpunk has a day and night cycle. And in the day, it's things you know, it's a lot, it's more chill. At night is when you get all the neon lighting and you can feel in the city. But I wonder yeah. if they, I wonder if Dragon uh, Bioware will do a day and night cycle. I think they would probably prefer just to have it at set times, but I'm not sure. But as we know, though, Mrafis is the city that never sleeps, and maybe that is like literal because it's always dark. I don't know. Like our Antarctica has a point during the year where there's like 30 days of night or something like that. It could be like that where because of its location, it's almost always dark there. Or maybe de depending on what quest you do, it changes the time of day. Because I would like to say in the daytime, I would like a day and night cycle. I like, yeah. I like those in games and I think I know that 
they tried to do it in Inquisition, but I think it was a lighting issue. Um, yeah. Well, they did it with Haven, where it was always daytime, and then when Acrufius attacked, there was the was night there? cycle, yeah, so it, yeah. it could be something like that. Yeah, maybe at certain key points. Uh, yeah, like in Winter Palace, you know, when you went there for the Grand Ball, it was dark, but then when you went there in Trespass, it was light. So maybe there will be certain key points, but I, I would just like a day and night cycle where when you're walking around the city, like when you were in Dragon Age 2 in Kirkwall, or in Orlais in Inquisition, the time just changes slightly. I don't know, it, it doesn't feel like it's a Bioware thing, and they do do it in set pieces, but I would like to see Munrafis walking around it in the daytime, but I guess we'll have to, we'll see if they'll do that. But uh, honestly, I am just as excited for Antiva. I think Antiva, it just, that, it just looks beautiful. It looks like Disneyland Paris, mixed obviously with Italy and, and all the, just, yeah, I, I, I am so excited to see that. It just looks regal and beautiful and I really want to walk down those streets and just take it in. That's all I want to do. I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to play the story. I just want to walk down the streets of Tavinta and Antiva and just soak it all up. Oh, underdog hero, we need your aid. Sorry, I'm just walking through the market district of Antiva. These are some nice leather boots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if the uh, trailer and theories are right that the next game has the origin system of maybe like Grey Warden, Sakari, Antivan Crow, and um, exec Executors, which which one are you? I think you've mentioned wanting to do the Antivan Crow before, haven't you? I'd be, I'd be torn between, between Tevinter or the Antivan Crow. I would be really torn. I would be. I'm. I'm a rogue player, so rogue would be work well with Antivan Crows, but also Tavinta. You could be a really cool rogue. I think I would go with Tavinta. I think I would. Yeah. What I guess. It, I guess it depends on what the origins really are. Like, if yeah, it turns out yeah. to be like Magister or Magister Assistant, it wouldn't be as interesting as like the Sakari Spring Slaves. Yeah. Like I, as as for me, again, it depends on what actually ends up happening. But I'd go for a Kunari Grey Warden purely because oh, we've be cool. never seen we've never seen one before, or even heard of one, at least to my knowledge. On top of that, for character creation, I hope we get like body sliders because I kind of yes. want to play like a like a runt warden, like a, run, a runt <laughs> Kunari almost. Like they got thrown out of the Talvashoth for being like almost human size or like slightly weaker, but the Grey <laughs> Wardens took them in because he was willing to like fight against the blight or just do good and you know just being able to see a gray ward a gray warden who's also canary for the first time would be really interesting it would it would and it'd be yeah it'd be a cool dynamic of talashoff canary joining out to to stop the blight uh, by becoming a gray warden that would be awesome and I, i'm just excited for that slice of theater so i don't talk about this all the time but just seeing whatever we're getting i'm not going to put you know any expectations, but it seems like we're going to see the Anderfels, Tavinta, uh, and, and Tiva. I'm not sure about Navarra, that maybe just an Acropolis is a hub place to explore, but it at least seems like we're seeing Tavinta, the Anderfels, and Antiva. Yeah. And I'm just so excited just to get those slices of life in Fadus, just seeing how different it is, the weather, the, the cities, the dynamics, the characters, the people, the, the culture. The Imperial Chantry, for example, is the complete opposite of the Chantry in some regard. They have the Black Divine, and then they have male preachers. I don't know what they're called. I don't know what they call them. What do they call them? The preachers. They, they probably be fathers as opposed to the mothers and sisters yeah, of the, the main the Chantry. Sisters, and sisters, I wonder if they yeah. have, like, similar artifacts from the time of, um... Of Andraste. Yes. Yeah, of Andraste. The, like, holy the Holy just like con as well. Yeah, the, con the, con the conflicting, like, ideas, like, yeah. we have evidence of this story, and, like, Maybe they're both wrong and that'll get revealed. Yeah, like that's, and... that's the thing. Like They believe they're the Holy Land because Andraste was killed there. Yes, she was from Ferelden or a, a village. I don't know. If she, I think she was from a village up in Ferelden. But like they're like, well, yeah, well, tough. I don't care where she was born. She, the Holy Land is Tevinter because she died here. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like They both have good points. And do, just on do. that, I hope some choices in Inquisition that seemed menial actually take 
like play into the next game like maybe if your inquisitor chose to believe they were sent by andraste that could conflict with what tavinta has to show oh, that cool. maybe doesn't or you mentioned navara like if we get to go there at some point the choice with uh josephine later in the game where you have to choose between allying with navara or tavinta maybe that could come into play like tavinta's more willing to aid you because they aided the inquisition or if you had trevelyan and you could aid with both at different points like that could provide like assistance in a certain mission because they were with the inquisition or they might have um they might not be so willing to provide aid because the inquisition didn't side with them just like those menial decisions that didn't do anything in Inquis Inquisition might actually play into effect in 4. Yeah, yeah, I, I would love that. Tiny little nuanced changes, even just about your character, um, like your, your Inquisitor's like backstory or about what they meant or their personality, even in just slight codexes too. That'd be amazing. You could find the Avar clan that you banished to Tevinter and they could oh. aid you in fighting some... You could find some magisters hiding in like a castle with goats being pelted at the wall. <laughs> oh, that would be that amazing. Was such a good... That's, that's my favourite like comedic scene from yes. Inquisition is just seeing the goat get hurled against the stone fortress. Yeah, you know, I would love little small changes. I know like the Vine and who we set as the new Emperor or Empress of Orlais may have some consequence well they hopefully will have some consequence even if it's just like a letter from a divine or maybe a singular appearance of the divine but i think a lot of the changes for me a lot of uh, the choices i want is to do with the inquisitor their personality how they are and and and, and their journey of what they're doing since what they did what they did since and how they're going to follow through solas and who they romanced and what they set in stone for the inquisition those things are the choices i'm interested in but even things like um are the charges alive could we see the charges again can we go into tevinter and be the we go to like a, a small pub and they're, 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 there's creme with some of the charges or if iron ball romance dorian maybe you get a scene yes! where you meet with dorian that an assassin like jumps out of the uh, jumps off like a balcony and just see bull come out of stage <laughs> left and just boot him out of the way just get away from my boy <laughs> something like that yeah, who you pick as divine could also have a um i think that would be uh, yeah. like con be consequences on maybe on the tone like oh, yes. you go to minrathus and liliana's more welcoming of like every race being able to be accepted so some people in Tevinter might be like considering the divine even though it's not their black divine maybe the black divine might be more willing to like let tensions lower because the, the south are becoming cultured they're yeah, yeah they're yeah. allowing people in such as us or if you pick vivienne and she's more tight-gripped and fearful of magic Tevinter might be more hostile and the mages and the magisterium might be slightly scared for their freedom and like cracking down harder causing more suffering or if you have cassandra it's like kind of the best of both worlds but also the worst of both where just based on who's divine the south the north has those tensions and bad outcomes the only other thing i'd like to see in the next game is even if they're small locations being able to revisit skyhold kirkwall oh, yeah. and maybe denerim i am de done with ferelden in some regard but i think seeing skyhold again must could be a must especially if the veil was created there um i think Celeste might sentimentally want to destroy the veil there what if um, that's the final location yeah where you have to defeat solace it's just he, him standing in your throne room the sky torn asunder and the veil being in the split and your character walks in maybe with the inquisition inquisitor in tow and you're almost reversed for how the inquisitor was standing there with their advisors and now you're here trying to stop their potential lover that would be full-on fantasy fulfillment i i think there might be some version of solas but if we go over the idea that solas is just straight up the villain having or even even in the middle of the game having some sort of skyhold scene where you will literally confront solas with the inquisitor at skyhold yeah i don't think that solas will be the main villain or if or if he is 
they'll end up doing something similar to Inquisition's ending where after, like, you know, credits roll, there's a small scene that alludes to, like, maybe Mithal absorbed his essence or is finally strong enough to take her vengeance on the world. And that leads to a potential hint to five or there's more DLC that could set up someone who's, like, been pulling the strings or something because with Solus being pride, someone could very easily be, um, be guiding him through an unseen hand. Someone like Mithal? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. Like with, with Flemeth's scene, when you see her and she gets extremely angry and shows like just how vengeful Mithal oh, wants yes. to be and taking her revenge on the world. I don't see her just playfully um, joining up with Solus, getting rid of the Evanuris and just being like, all right, I've had my vengeance. I'm going right, yeah, you know, to I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go to sleep. Yeah, no, it's going to be there's got to be some twist there. There's got to be yeah. some reason why she wants him to go on, whatever that be. I think then she's going to get her vengeance. Uh, if yeah, it's a it, it has to be. Torn, if it's, she doesn't care for the world, I don't know. She clearly cares in some regard, but I think that's probably to do with the yeah. old gods and the blight and making sure that, that the blights happen so she can get old god souls. But I think that there's something, some greater scheme to her and why she lets Solas do what, what he's doing. You believe in the double blight theory? Um, somewhat. I think that the old gods seemingly so far have a huge thing going ahead for the next game because we've seen two old gods in the trailers that we assume. Um, and I think that, that, that I mean, Solas looks like he's after the old gods. So that looks like to me, is, is he going to become tainted and unleash the blights because he needs their souls or because he wants, Mephile needs their souls or whatever. Like there seems to be like he is going to be unleashing or at least getting to the two old gods, whether untainted or not. And we don't know what happens if you do awaken an old god that isn't tainted. We've only seen them be tainted, so like... Or what or what happens when there's no more old gods to turn into archdemons. I don't think there'll be a double blight, because that just seems like that's too much for anyone to deal with. A blight, yeah. Two blights, the Evanurus, Mithal. But I think we'll either see the end of, or an explanation as to why... Like, when he spoke to the Inquisitor saying that they believe that killing the archdemons will end the blights. I think that he'll get rid of the the old gods, but will still like still find a way to end the the origin of the blight or find a way to contain it. That that could be the subversion. It's just hey, uh, we found the old gods' bodies. They're dead. Yeah. They're, they're not even tainted, but they're still they're still darkspawn. They're still they're still gonna be black. Cause yeah, even Solas did say like, why do you think that the death of the old gods will will stop the blights from happening? It won't. So yeah, it might stop the archdemons, but the blight won't stop yeah i i don't know if we'll get a double blight i think that's just some indicators towards that but it's definitely going it seems that at least there's going to be something about the two remaining gods they'll either be killed or since they aren't tainted souls could very easily take their essence or their strength yeah or even bind them to his will yeah yeah absolutely or but take their essence take that whatever they are if they are elven gods if the old gods are elven gods if the aspects of the elven gods then like maybe that's what he wants he wants their power if they are the evanuris and surely he'd want to kill them or he'd want to find a way to deal with them or if they're whole cruxes for something i don't know or if mafal wants them so they have to be tainted so mafal gets them who the heck knows i think more leaning towards mafal is what i feel about the old gods maybe that maybe she wants them to, I think she likes she wants the blights to happen so she gets the old god souls but then Solas is very much against that but then Solas and Mafal don't have the same scheme yes they are in cahoots but they both have different plans, you know, like Mephal disapproved of Solas when he gave his orb to Kruffis. Maybe Mephal, maybe Solas will disapprove of Mephal when she wants the Blights to happen, you know what I mean? So I think that assuming that they're both on the same side too much is blind because they definitely disagree in a lot of regards. Yeah, because Cole mentions that he saw an Archdemon in the, in the Fade. 
What if when Mathal put her essence into the mirror, it was so she could take their essence in the fade or like grow, like bring them under her control or something to that extent without Solus focusing on it? Because he's more focused on the binding of spirits and finding a way to tear down the veil. She could very easily just, oh, Flemeth's back and she has two archdemons. So that's, um, that's good. Yeah. I still think there's something about her, maybe the old gods themselves actually being an aspect of her. She's put herself in an amulet. She can transform into a dragon. There's a lot of association with Mephile's dragons and her being able to split her spirit. Maybe when the veil was created or maybe when she was killed, aspects of her being went into the old gods and that's why she's after them now to recollect herself. So she's recollecting her spirit so she can then actually get more power. Or like Morrigan mentioned that Mother's magic keeps the Darkspawn away, but we've never seen magic like that. So she could easily just be, you know, having the maybe the mind or like the power of an archdemon just saying, avoid this hut, you, you vile creatures. She speaks the calling as well. I don't know how, but yes. Mephal speaks the calling. So it's like, there's a huge connection to Mephal and the Blight. And maybe it comes back to the, t I mean, it must come back to the pre-Veil times when she was killing Titans and when the Evanuris spoke things on Forgotten and when there were rumors of Andrul taking things from the Void and making armor from the Void. So, and, and then Mephal taking that away from her. There's, there's a huge tie to the Blight from pre-Veil that, that, and Mephal. So I, I think the Blight or something like that, it, it, it's, it's to do with Mephal or there's some aspect of Mephal needs to be dealt with. She, but then again, Flamif did say that the greatest of evil in this world is the Blight. This is something about Mokan being silly to not recognize it's evil. So there is a greater evil about it, but that could just be Mephal saying that so men go go forth and kill the archdemons so she can take their souls. It, or she's willing to use that evil because she knows a way to stop it. Yeah. But she needs to have it yeah. meet her own ends or something. And just on the subject of like re resurrecting old gods and blights, uh, do you think the other magisters will appear similar to Corypheus, uh, the architect, oh, and the ones that have been referenced? And At least one as like a mini boss. Maybe you go to the deep roads. Maybe you are, I don't know, wherever. Maybe one's masquerading in public. Using, using like some of the magisters as like puppets and they all devoted yeah. to him and they're like Corypheus was wrong because he was tainted but this this, this is the ma this is the magister that follows our god and he's he's taking control maybe that's why the people in charge aren't willing to do anything because he believes that he can outlast the elven gods could even be the champions of Razakel and Lucican because they're the two old gods who are yet to be tainted yes so we could even have remnants of the Venatori supporting this new magister and being like hey forget Corypheus this is the better magister. This is the better god. The only other question I really uh, brought up was if you could bring any of the characters from the comics as a companion Ooh. or like their abilities as a subclass, who would you bring? I'd because for me, I would love to see Francesca as oh, yes. like a mage companion. Plant and maybe magic. she can teach you, yeah, she could teach you like the plant magic or she could even be like similar to Dorian, how everyone thinks he's going to be an advisor. She could be like an ally to the new character, but I'd love to see like sprouting trees and so similar to yes. what um, Meryl was doing in Dragon Age 2, like Keeper magic, stuff like that. Vine but with a, things like that. with like a, with like the Magister twist. That'd be amazing. I'd love to see Francesca. For me, less about the skill set, but more because I love her, Vaya. I would love to see. Oh, Vaya absolutely. Because she, I know she's just killed recently, so she's not going to be the you know. But she's very good at stealth, so maybe she could be more of just like a really good thief class. 
you know, like maybe knockout powder, stealth, breaking down locked doors and stealing things like we saw in previous Dragon Age games. Things like that should be really good at. And then maybe dual daggers and is, is you know, maybe, you know, obviously she has to kill. She's going to have to. But yeah, yeah knockout powders and, and uses remedies like that. More of like a tempest in Inquisition where you're using powders and bottles and things like that to gain more power and speed. I'd love Vaya. I would adore it. I think she would be amazing. She but just because her character is so good. And Freema Agayaman would be an amazing voice actress for her because she is Ooh. already based on her. That would be incredible. <laughs> Do you think we'll get more um, red rates since the... Um... Yeah, oh, I think that's what I, that's what I think about the Evanuris. I think that could be maybe foreshadowing for the Evanuris. Maybe they built bodies of red lyrium and that's why they are powerful and, and, and lustful in their power. And that's what I think it could be an indicator for. We know for a fact that bodies were created from lyrium. Even the maker has said to have created bodies from Lurum. He created man from the emerald waters of the Fade, and he drew forth its essence and created man in flesh. Emerald waters of the Fade is literally Lyrium. We know that bodies have been created from Lyrium. Whether that's man now, I don't know. Obviously, the makers probably doesn't exist. But the Evanuris mined the Titans for their created bodies from their blood. Lyrium bodies exist. So do red Lyrium bodies exist? Surely red Lyrium bodies exist. Surely. And that's what I think the Evanuris are. I think they literally have red Lyrium bodies. Maybe when Mafal killed a Titan, it didn't die, it slumbered. Or maybe when it did die, it, it its Lyrium got infected. Or maybe it was blighted and that's what caused... Maybe the, the blight comes from the Titans and it's an, infe an infection against the Evanuris. And because the Evanuris had inhabited bodies of Lyrium, a Titan died or the Titan cursed them or it was blighted, that, that Lyrium became Red Lyrium. And therefore, they are not just blighted, but are also maddened with Red Lyrium. And their bodies literally inhabited Red Lyrium. And that's how you can coincide Corypheus strapping Red Lyrium on him and Meredith and the Blight all into this kind of package of the Evanuris. Okay, so you've seen Meredith being mad with power with Red Lyrium. You've seen Corypheus being mad with power with the Blight. Here's the next foes. It's the Evanuris and they have both the Blight and Red Lyrium. I think that is an, the next connection. It's in that mural that we had at, at the Game Awards with Meredith in the corner, Corypheus in the corner against these two old gods and I, uh, whatever they are. And I definitely think that is the next thing. Red Lyrium and Blight coincided for sure i think that has got to be the case what if because solace keeps saying that the idol is his yeah but we haven't gotten any elaboration on that what if he was the one to place that near the Evanuris to get them angrier but he didn't foresee Ooh. them like if he didn't, yeah. if he didn't foresee them killing Mathol, so he considers it his fault and now he wants that back to try and either undo it or maybe that has some aspect of it because yeah i don't I see how else it could yeah. be his like yeah. he, he placed it there thinking that it would like show the people that look your your gods are weak they they yeah. do not have your best interests at heart but instead they killed Mathol, which would explain why he's so sorrowful whenever he sees her or like speaks about her he could I consider it his fault he was too prideful and didn't consider the fact happened, that they may yeah. turn on her when he says it's, a, it's his i think what he means is what happened what the idol is depicting is his moment and therefore he thinks he, he takes the idol as his own because that moment in the idol is what happened. Maybe when Mafal died, he embraced Mafal. It's said that the dwarves have crafted the idol from something that they had seen, something like that, but it was crafted, it's dwarven in origin. So it, the dwarves have crafted this idol to represent a moment. And I think that the moment that's 
it is what happened between Solas and Mafal, and that's what he means by it's his idol because it was his moment, if that makes sense. Uh, unless it literally is just his idol that he used. He did say to the um, Forgotten Ones and the Avenirus that there was a weapon that, uh, that, was in the, that was in the beyond and it was in the abyss or whatever, and Solas told them both to go get this weapon, and when they went to go get the weapon, he separated them in their realms forever. Maybe he said that weapon was the very Red Dream idol, and that's what he used to dissuade them and to get them to do it i'm not sure but I, you know it, it's it, it could just be either the representation of what happened in the past or it could be the weapon itself that he used against the uh and maybe it's just that maybe that's what all that is now it's just that what it means as opposed to actually using it again i don't know i hope we're able to get like a flashback or like a vision sequence yes. of how like the actual veil happened because that could lead yes. into the dark fantasy as well just like from the perspective of like an elf within the empire you just watch your like the, the veil go up you watch your buildings like collapse you watch people oh, in the yes. streets being destroyed you feel like you watch the essence being ripped out of the people they like start to wither they watch as they like age before their eyes before turning to dust you watch your entire empire just fall people dying in the streets and then at the center of it is a remorseful and pained soulless I would and he's just taking on all the pain of his people it reminds me of literally are you, are you a fan of doctor who at all uh no i the only okay. the only doc, the, the only doctor who i've seen is when they put on an episode at school okay, fair. <laughs> like literally all, back in the day doctor who solace is based on the 10th doctor doctor who basically did the same to his people he had to destroy his own planet to kill the daleks and it's essentially it is the same as solace he had to create this create veil to and, and destroying the elven empire but also destroying the ever the nurse and literally there is an entire movie called the day of the doctor and you just see in a, in this painting this this painting projected through time him stood there in the middle as Daleks and as the, the his people called the Time Lords are fighting against his planet and you just see this veteran guy and he has to decide what he wants to do. And I totally think we could get a scene where either from Solace's memories, maybe we could go and find his memories, you know, that's been hinted to with Inquisition, or maybe he shows us it himself, or we go to another place like a temple of Falun Din, or we go to a Skyhold in the Fade, or I don't know, we go somewhere where the, where it, it, the veil is thin and we have spirits that linger there exactly like the Vida Thara and we have those memories or we have a spirit show us those memories we need to have that we need to have that portrayed in the game you know and there are so many ways they could do it maybe we could be taken to the fade by a dreamer like Felisan maybe we could just link with Solas he could actually show it to, to us himself because he can speak to anyone in the fade as proven in Inquisition even if you're a dwarf maybe we could just stumble upon that by a spirit maybe we could just witness witness it somehow miraculously we need to see those memories because it is crucial to understanding what happened. I don't just want to be told in codexes. As much as fun as fun as that is, and, and as great as it is, I think we, it, we need to see it. I really do. I think it's a key pivotal point of law that needs to be witnessed. I, I, I really do. Wonder if we might be able to hinder Solus's plans by going through an alluvion and like tearing down the pocket dimension that's there. Like, yeah, it, it's mentioned that the fade is very close, but what if it's like situated in the Black City or yeah. like it, it, it's like a direct link to like. Like the yeah like the elven city within the fade it's like a shortcut but to do so would tear down the means of like transportation that the evanuras provide well yeah well the thing if you think about it solace has got so many mirrors what is going to be a good way to stop him from getting everywhere it would be to tear down a pocket dimension that connects alluvians it would be to to, to stop him from being able to get everywhere physically because he can get anywhere in the fade with his dreadful form or whatever that is we need to stop him in the mortal realm getting everywhere so tearing down a pocket dimension for the crossroad in the crossroads to to stop him from traveling through Luvians would be a very good way to stop him from being able to get everywhere. 
whilst getting rid of a, a part yeah. of ancient history. I don't imagine Morrigan will be happy. She wouldn't, but, uh, I mean, Morrigan at this point, she, yeah. she could go either way. I can oh, also imagine yeah. a scene where you're, like, preparing to go into the Evanur, uh, the, the Alluvian, to try and, like, foil souls in some way, and as soon as you step through with your party, he's just standing, like, five feet away from the mirror, just waiting. That would be so <laughs> intimidating. Honestly, I think, wrapping this up, it's something that I would like to see to fit the Star Fantasy theme. I would like to see, and I know this might cause some eyes to roll, I would like to see Solas just being a little bit evil, being a little bit scary and dark. I, I want to see him desperate, but at the same time, just hell-bent to, to fulfill his scheme. And therefore, going against our our, our new hero and um, being the Dread Wolf, taking that. If I saw that and I want to see the Evanuris, I just want to see, I, I know this sounds, it sounds weird, I just want to see like a proper, true, dark antagonist who also has morals and goals, but also just, just seeing how evil, that, that how I want to see how ballsy Bioware will go. Will the veil be destroyed? How dark will the antagonist be? What will Mafal do? What will Solas do to ensure that he will destroy the veil? How dark are we going to go because i, I, I just want to see how complex they'll create that narrative and what our hero can do i would love to see an ending where the veil is torn but it's yeah. in a way that both worlds can coexist and with yes so yes. with so with solace he might have to die for that to come true and we've already heard that he said that he'll do anything to save his people and now that he's away from like Lavellan and the Inquisition, and even if they were rivals, he was acting differently around them. He was acting more prideful if they were a rival, or his his walls were breaking down if he was around people he cared for. And now that he's separated himself from them and taking on the aspects of the true Dread Wolf, he might be more willing to do dark things, knowing that he won't exactly, be exactly exactly around yeah. the people that could that could aid him. That's he why could... I think he is he is distancing himself so he can become what yeah. he needs to become. And and I know like as as much as Solovalens will say, but he's not evil, but he's not no, he's not at the moment. Moment, but that's why he is distancing himself from Lavellan so he can become that because he wants to become something that he doesn't want anyone to see. He doesn't want anyone to recognize what he'll become. Whether that's it, as a friend or even as a foe to Inquisitor, he is going to become something scary. <laughs> evil is a matter of perspective. He doesn't see himself as evil. He sees himself as doing what's necessary. But to his victims, he could be an archdemon for all they care. And I want the origins, like regardless if you're an Antivan Crow, a Warden, a Sakari, or an Evanuris, I want the origin to end all the same, with Solus just showing up and wrecking your shit. Yes, me too. Me just, too. Just absolutely, yeah. like, maybe yeah. kill killing your mentor character or just ruining everyone around you and you're just left picking like picking yourself up sitting in the ashes of all you knew and there you go you have a motivation you know your target and now you have to try and find allies willing to stand against the dread wolf even in a sub in a subversion of that Solas might actually appeal to our hero and try and recruit us for a, for his scheme to defeat the Evanuris. I don't know why. If you're an elf, you can, maybe there's, a, there's the option to like start with him, but then you slowly see how far he's willing to go and you're like, oh, well, I, I would I would love to be part of the, the old world, but my family, my friends, like the yeah. world I've lived in, it'll all be destroyed unless I stand against you. And yeah, I'd be very interested to see how they start the game because Inquisition yeah. literally from clicking new games starts with a bang. That's so. an absolute bang, yeah. Whereas Origins had more of a, a bit of like a, a slow descent into madness as soon as you got to Ostagar and then everything just crumbled. Everything opens up then and it's like, okay, this is Dragon Age. Everyone's dead, good luck. You're <laughs> yeah, about, you're like, you're, like you're like 23 years old, basically. 
There's two Grail Wardens left. Good luck. <laughs> but I think with that, we can wrap this up on, on dark fantasy and just everything about Dragon Age. I really thank you so much, Lambo, for coming on. Where can people find you if they would like to give you a follow and check out your stuff? Uh, I'm only on Twitter at Lam0G. I'm sure I can send oh, that I'll to you that and on. you can put it in Yay. the description or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, beyond that, I don't really have any other socials, but my love follows. I usually only talk about Dragon Age or post-Dragon <laughs> Age related stuff. So it's more of what you love, I guess. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lambo. I really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you everyone for listening and enjoying this conversation. Really, really appreciate your time if you've listened to this entirety. But yeah, I hope you are all staying safe and having a good day. But I will see you all in the next one. But until then, we should go. We should go. <laughs>